Hello, and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast, Episode 20, The Social Network. Super 70 Podcast is an audio commentary meant to sync with the film we are discussing. You don't have to, though, and can go on listening without watching anything. I would, however, recommend that you watch the film we are discussing before listening to the Super 70 Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast, Himalaya, and my website at www.thatdylandavis.com. I'm Dylan Davis. We will be using the 2010 release of David Fincher's The Social Network, a single DVD, not the double DVD release. If you hit play a movie on that DVD player, now this podcast should sync with the rest of the film. Dave Anderson is once again in the Hacienda, although after The Kingdom of Heaven, I have no idea why. Oh, come on. That was... That was that was no fault of yours or anything else. I don't know. That was Ridley Scott's fault. All right. So we jump right into the bar scene, which Fincher on a, on his commentary for the same movie. Yeah. Closed captioned. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, because the dialogue is so critical in this movie. Oh, for sure. All right. The final club. Uh, Aaron Sorkin wrote this script. Aaron Sorkin is infamous in Hollywood for cranking out these dialogue-heavy scripts. Uh, He most famously wrote Moneyball, which did a very good job of breaking down some very complicated baseball statistic talks into something that was uh, approachable Mm -hmm. uh, to the viewing audience. Um, You never start off with 10 minutes of dialogue in any movie. So that was very original, even in a drama. Second, people were blown away by Jesse Eisenberg and, Oh my God, who is that brunette? A third, this scene was shot with a red digital camera and took, are you ready? I'm 99 takes. That's David Fincher though. 99 fucking takes. Yes. I, I can't sit through 99 of anything. I can't count 99 paper clips. I can't count up to 99. I can't sit on a park bench and look at 99 girls. Well, I, I'm willing to get the last one, but I could probably eat 99 grains of rice. Quite possibly. So this is the same equipment and technology that Fincher used to shoot Zodiac, which was 2007. And in that courtroom scene with um, Robert Downey Jr. was famously peeing into jars mm-hmm. and keeping his urine around the set in order to protest the fact that they had hit a hundred takes on that on that scene he's something of a perfectionist uh he is but i also have to say every shot in all of his movies from i would say his second movie on uh just look absolutely beautiful this this looks like a, like a vermeer painting yeah but even alien 3 was uh, objectively aesthetically pleasing for as ugly as it was Right, and I think that was part of. Uh, we can could probably go into that in the in the special edition. But part of the problem with Alien Three was that you had a a plot and a storyline which was conflicting with what you were visually experiencing. Accurate. Yeah. Uh, so there's 
an article online called the 20 things wrong with the social network. And I read that. And one of the things it brings up is the fact that Rooney Mara's character, Erica Albrecht is actually, she, she does not exist. She's a fictional person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zuckerberg did have a girlfriend at one point in time, but that she was not the basis for what's going on here. And I read the book, uh, the accidental billionaires, which the social network was based on, which Aaron Sorkin used to write the script and he said that Zuckerberg just went into his dorm room one night for whatever reason and just decided to just start punching code. Mm-hmm. There was no bar or no girlfriend at the bar, so as anyone can tell. So if I were Mark Zuckerberg and I were looking at this opening scene, I would be pretty pissed off at what really is tantamount to character assassination. Okay. I have... However, I, I would say he, he might have deserved it. <laughs> well, I mean, this is – I find this movie fascinating, right? Because I remember when they were making it, hearing about it, and it was just a topic that had zero interest to me. I, the only thing that was of interest was David Fincher was making it. So I don't care about Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. Um, I don't really have a whole lot of experience with it. So it's just a topic that didn't have a lot of interest. But immediately it's – an extremely compelling just for a story standpoint. And I don't look at this from my personal perspective as this is how Zuckerberg is. I look at it as this story. It might as well be fictional to me. Right. right? So I can, I guess you're right, but I would be stunned if Zuckerberg, this keeps him up at night. Cause he's got several oh, billion, yeah. several billion. Yeah. Yeah. He's sleeping on. So I'm, I'm sure he's fine. No, absolutely. And, but, and, and Zuckerberg that we're seeing here is a character. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a fictional character. Right. And just like she is. And, and that's hard for people to get their, their like, heads around. Yeah, just like Bruce Lee and Once Upon a Time in, you know, Hollywood. Right. Exactly. But there are there are several things um, throughout the film that also if if Sorkin or if um, the author of the, the Accidental Billionaires, if I could remember his name, Mark something, if they had just read just a little bit more, done a little bit more research, Zuckerberg actually rode crew in high school. No, oh, that's interesting. Right. So the idea that she brings up crew and it pisses him off because she, you know, she must be into bulky athletes and things like that. That doesn't really actually fly. Uh, but it's but for the purpose of the character, it but for it, the story, it, it, it works very a, well. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And this is all right. So we got to go past past the bar scene, which is a tremendous establishment of this fictional character based on a real life human being. But which is I, I love that opening scene. But then once we get to um, you know the titles, which is what we're watching now, it's really a, kind of a masterwork in camera movement and establishing mood and geography. And the way he's surrounded by a lot of different people on his walk back to his dorm, Mm -hmm. but he's certainly isolated. It's a good analogy for Facebook in general. I mean, it's really exceptionally well done. Yeah, the tone. Yeah. I mean, the guy really is a master and can make something like opening titles be really compelling. Plus the... Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross score. Oh, they're brilliant. Yeah. They're they're absolutely brilliant. And Trent Reznor's got a history of working with David Fincher. I remember that Fincher used uh, Closer for the opening credit sequence on Seven. Right. I think this was the first movie. I may be mistaken, but I thought this was the first movie they'd scored. That they scored, yeah. They did the entire uh, Vietnam War. Right. um, Which is, oops, sorry, that's the cooler for people waiting at home. We're, We're cracking 
cracking cold ones. We're cracking cold ones while we watch this. Um, that shot there just seems to simply going through the pillars of some establishment, right? That is standing in for it. Yeah, Harvard. Harvard wouldn't let Fincher no, anywhere near the campus. Uh, Harvard was abs- very, very shitty with Fincher. Uh, mm-hmm. They they didn't want Fincher or the movie production company or Ben Mesrick. That's the guy's name. He wrote the book. They didn't want anybody uh, who even remotely touched this movie uh, having anything to do with Harvard. So they, they went and shot it at uh, several different uh, universities. I think one of them was in Pennsylvania. But it, it does look like Harvard. I mean, you wouldn't. At least what I would imagine. I've never been. Not familiar with the campus, but. It's definitely a good portrayal of a northeast upper echelon university. And even going down to the the clothing with the the theme of elitism, which pops up in the very first scene of dialogue, and it circles through the entire film. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark's wearing a a Gap shirt or a Gap sweater right now. And, you know, if, if this were the Winklevi, as they were called in the the book, you know, it it would be definitely something upper scale. Definitely right, Brooks brother, Gucci for some people, or or what, or what? Maybe that's too trashy for someone this high and elite. But as the Winkle vibe, but it's just the fact that you know Mark buys his clothes at the mall, mm-hmm. and the others buy theirs at Saks yes. or Bloomingdale's or things of of right. that nature, right? And so there was a lot of thought given into uh, the production design and the clothing, and the, not just the characters and the dialogue. This is typical Fincher; it's all the way around. Going back to the bar scene, I mean, we need to wrap that up because he's he's into the blogging now, and the blogging scene is very integral to the film. But there's that that line of elitism was like, you know, the only reason why we're in this bar is because you used to sleep with the door guy. Right. And she contests that. First of all, I didn't sleep with the door guy. The door, door guy is a friend of mine. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being a door guy. Right. And it's very strange that Mark shits on uh, elitists for being elitists, and yet he turns around – and has this hypocritical side of his character. Well, he's definitely portrayed as being exceptionally envious of the other people's status. Right. Right. And then saying, well, you don't need to study because you're going to be you. Why would you need to study? And it's like saying, well, I don't need to study because I went to the University of Houston and right. not the University of Texas. Fuck you. I earned my degree just like you did. Right. But there is that attitude in this state, mm-hmm. as you well know. So there's there's not too much difference. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty standard across any subject just about any organization somebody's always going to say well well we're part of x and you're part of y and y just sucks yes because i say so exactly but this is the i want to i do want to call this out because this is the only time that i can recall where any coding in computer work was ever done on screen that was actually compelling this is just oh i know yeah (laughs) and uh the tapping i don't remember the tapping of a keyboard being so loud and of course now mechanical keyboards are or back in favor. Like they went out, you know, the, it was the only thing that you could get for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the, the wire touch is whatever, pretty much everybody uses now, but programmers like to go back to the, the mechanical. Mm-hmm. The, it's very satisfying. It is. They were really quick to get rid of the typewriter, but they want to maintain that feel. Right. Now the, um, I don't even know what you call it. the, the whore coach or the bringing the girls in to these elitist parties. This was another thing that Harvard was not very happy about. And the, the specifically the clubs at Harvard were very upset about it, Certainly. but you know, this does go on. I would say they're probably upset because there's probably a, 
certain degree of truth. It's it's documented, and, and Eduardo Saverin, who was one of the sources for the accidental billionaires, mm-hmm. he brings it up in in the book as one of the reasons why they all wanted to get into a club is to meet girls. Meet girls, yeah. Go figure. That's why he's – well, I mean, when you get around to it, that's the whole – the prime motivation of everything. Yeah. And, and if you don't understand that, I mean, were you never 20 years old? You know, you, you, don't, I don't, you don't have to go to college and certainly don't have to go to Harvard to understand the, the base instinct that's going on here or why he's in the bar with Erica to begin with. But there were people that were even saying, well, that just looks made up or unrealistic. But, you know, I've seen Eyes Wide Shut. That's just one degree removed from this. Oh, sure. This is where all that shit starts. Which, eh, good for them. Yeah. (laughs) As long as everybody's consenting. Right. Which everybody is. Everybody's trying to get something. I mean, the girls are not there. They're not coerced there. Leithway's portrayed in this film. You know, the, the guys are certainly not reluctant. This is people wanting specific things from other people. Now, how many takes did the t- did that take? Oh, I know. Yeah, flipping it into flipping the dark into the uh, orange. And that's supposed to be Dustin Moskovitz there, who's another founder of Facebook, who's one, also one of the primary coders in the early days, and who's still there working for Facebook, and is kind of known as a sort of loony personality who's a carefree spirit, and he's in the background a lot here, I think, because they just did not know what else to do with his character, mm-hmm. because the, they tried to keep the story centered on. Uh, Mark, Eduardo, and and the Winklevi, yeah, and and that makes complete sense. And even Trey Parker is kind of like a fly by night, like he comes in and he. Com- so Trey question. Parker, Sean Parker. Yes, I knew sorry. what you meant. You knew what I mean. Yes, yes. <laughs> question. Like Facebook is pretty, you know, or not yeah. and, and Eduardo did have a uh, Saverin did have like a, a chess um, equation uh, that he was using to rank chess players, but. Uh, he that's not what Mark used for um, his facesmash.com. He he actually created his own algorithm, and that was part of what kind of amazed everybody was. He was drunk, he was blogging, he was coding at the same time. Mm-hmm. He did it all in the span of uh, I believe nine and a half hours. Right, uh, but it didn't it didn't crash the servers. That they they pulled the plug I think after forty eight hours, mm-hmm. but he had already stopped. Uh, the website he had already he knew he saw the traffic going through the server and he decided to pull it before they shut it down which so when they shut it down they didn't know that he'd already stopped it right which is very different than the portrayal in this movie right which is fine i mean that's you know getting again creative cool. license and right now these outside shots that fincher is using to of it's really establishing like a, a voyeurism of what it's like to look inside through doorways through windows right. Uh, into people's homes and like it's very good it's very it's very much like how people view life mm-hmm. who want to get inside something right. always view it from the outside that's what i got from his use of just simply positioning the camera someplace i do like how the girls say this pathetic and it appears that they are doing it themselves yes. which is kind of a good commentary on people's use of facebook and probably mine if i suddenly jumped on it a lot of hypocrisy in the film oh, yeah. uh, that Fincher exposes, not just Marx, but a lot of just the people. characters have have hypocrisy. In this, I, I do remember this being just some remarkable acting by Rini Mara. Yes. It's just the frozen tear in the eye. Oh, she's amazing. And I, I did have, I did, at the time, I could not tell you 
uh, what it was. But what I refer to it now is the, the Margot Robbie effect. Mm. I went to the theater to see The Wolf of Wall Street, and there's right. that shot of Margot Robbie walking up to the camera and looking into the lens. Mm -hmm. And I thought just instantly, oh, my God, she is going to be huge. Yeah, it's going to work out for her. And that's what I thought when I saw this, yeah. when, when uh, Rooney Mara turns to the camera and cries. And even in, later on when she shows up at the bar and she's like, good luck with your video game or whatever, I, I just thought, man, she's going to be huge. And other than um, – uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is also a Fincher film. Right. I really haven't seen her all that much, and that's really shocking to it me. It is rather unusual. I think she's in um, – what's the Netflix television show that David Fincher shepherded? Mind Hunter? No, 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 no. no. Those, House of Cards. House of Cards. I believe she was in that for a short amount of time, although I've not seen that show, unfortunately. This is why we have IMDb. Yes. I believe she was in that, if I'm not mistaken. Reserve the right to be wrong. Well, she was in Carol, which I didn't see, which I understand was amazing. And where's the recent filmography? Jesus, this is not this is supposed to be way easier than this. Here we go. Yeah, going back 2016, nothing I recognize. Side effects. The Social Network 2010. Since then, now she was in Youth and Revolt before then, which was very good. Not as good as the book. She was in her trash Carol Pan. Yeah, I uh, made me mistaken. But nothing that I just that jumps out at me. After the uh, the Harvard <laughs> Review Board, Mark says to Wardo, "You know, why doesn't anybody have a sense of humor anymore?" Mm -hmm. And that's kind of ironic because he's so stoic most of the time. He doesn't seem like he has a sense of humor yes, at he's, all. He's like an alien who is trying to project how humans would have a sense of humor. But it really does set up his ability to think exceptionally quickly and then jump from subject to subject without any kind of transition period, which completely confuses everybody he's speaking to. But it is really well done in this film because you pretty much have a good grasp on your end what's going on, what he's talking about. Yeah. And I don't know if there's another actor other than Eisenberg that could have just nailed something like that in Soren's script. Um, the Accidental Billionaires, and most of it is a, a, a lot of testimony from not just the trial, but from Saverin speaking mm -hmm. to the author. And Saverin really outlined Zuckerberg's personality. And he, one of the – I think he nailed it in terms of tone, um, but he speaks way too much. Apparently, from, from Saverin's point of view, that Zuckerberg does not talk all that much at all. And that was one of the problems of why he didn't have any friends and why he wasn't very social to begin with, right. which is, again, one of the ironies of him Great. creating the social network. He but he, he was a very monosyllabic personality. You know, yes, no, maybe. Those were his top three answers to anything that you asked him. And so the idea that there's this... Um, uh, Eisenberg on fire, which we all sat in a the theater and said, wow, that was just simply mm -hmm. outstanding. Uh, that's a, a great character development from Sorkin and Fincher's point of view. And of course, from Eisenberg. It makes it a it lot more compelling to watch. That's for sure. Right. And now the, the Winklevoss is showing up here. Um, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, who were real Olympians who did go to uh, Beijing yeah. and compete and they meddled. Um, and then different Narenda, their buddy. Now this, for those of you who are, who are not aware of it and watching this for the first time, those are two different actors playing the twins and they, uh, 
put the dots on one actor's face, even like this shot is simply amazing. There's nothing like that, even at a dead ringers. It's just simply astounding having them both on the screen like that. They painting, uh, they're painting Ar- Army Hammer's face on, on Tyler Winklevoss's body. Right. And Fincher has always used a lot of special effects, but they're always incredibly subtle. And generally speaking, they're unnoticeable. They are, especially in this one. And, and I remember watching Zodiac and just thinking, wow, the man did not use a single special effect in the entire movie. And that's absolutely shit. It's something like 90% of Zodiac is, is repainted. Right. He's just really exceptionally good at using it to enhance the story as opposed to being the story. Mm-hmm. And, and this is all true about uh, Mark going to the board and saying, you know, I, I would like at least some recognition that I've done something that no other student has done. And they were Harvard was completely unwilling to, to go that route. And, and here we have another conflict of, He's in an elitist university. The elites are being elitist by trying to put him into this mold, but he's being an elitist by trying to break out of this mold. Mm-hmm. And there's just lots of very high tier stuff going on that normal people just don't give a shit about sitting on the corner, selling roses for a dollar and checking their Facebook status on their, Absolutely. on their, you know, Android device. So answer me this, because I was, you know, I watched this again recently, about a week ago, and, you know, it's the first time I'd seen it in actually quite a while, quite a few years, but do you have any reason to understand why Eduardo, in this movie, is friends with Mark Zuckerberg? Because he is really looking out for his buddy, you know, as soon as he found out about him getting, you know, dumped by his girlfriend comes to check to see if he's okay and there's other examples where he's you know really making sacrifices for his buddy and mark never does jack shit for the guy you know that was never in the accidental billionaires it never had a a why it just they just were they just were friends yeah and and actually it started right about the time he was he was coding facebook Mm -hmm. and it grew through the through the foundation of the company, it it didn't pre-exist like like it does in the film. But neither here nor there, there is no there is no answer. No, I was just curious. I found I found it rather interesting because Zuckerberg is certainly put on on his not a repellent personality, but certainly aside from the obvious brilliance, nothing to really be attracted to or find interest. Right. Well, and and like the character Erica says, you know, you're going to think that people don't like you because you're, you're a nerd. nerd, and that's not true. It's because you're an asshole. Uh, he did have an obvious talent that drew people like Dustin Muscovitz to him. And um, he, but the, the monotone flat personality was something that, that Saverin um, said was, was uh, if I remember correctly, it was, or maybe it was the author's contention. Like it was simple. Mm-hmm. People could understand it. There was nothing, there's nothing overly complicated in his personality that, that said, ah, I don't want to mess with somebody like that. I don't want right. to deal. I don't want to waste my time with someone like that. I mean, from from all intents and purposes, from from what I read about Zuckerberg's real personality, he's not nearly as abrasive as Eisenberg's character is. Oh, I'm sure, but it is one of those that dramatic license to make a compelling story yeah, has to have very it. much so. Because very every, much every so. scene he's in is pretty much conflict. Right. I think actually, I'd have to look at that again, but I bet you every single scene he's in, there's conflict. Even this one right here, where they're in the Persilian. Yeah. You know, there is just this understated conflict you know with we can't let you in past the bike room and 
is just pretty fascinating. Yeah, another elitist moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which instantly pisses him off on the inside. Right, which is why he sits there and demonstrates how it's not important to him because he wouldn't take Microsoft's money. Right, exactly. Yeah, with the Europe. MP3 player that he made. Yeah. The advantage to see uh, the advantage of free software. Well, Facebook has a unique business model in which the users don't pay for it, and corporations pay to get access to the data that Facebook sells to them. And, of course, they, there is some advertising. I don't know if it's that unique. I mean, it's really no different No, ABC. Or Twitter or any other, you know, Instagram. Right. And this goes into what Mark says later in the film, that they don't, they don't know what Facebook is yet. Right. And I, don't, I still don't know if anybody really knows what it is. I mean, it doesn't create anything. There's nothing tangible with it. It's hard to define why it has value. Yeah. I mean... There is advertising associated with it, I think. But beyond that, it's... Well, it's not as... it's And it's very um, nascent is the wrong word. It's, it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, Hotternot.com or Facemash.com, which Zuckerberg hosted for all of 48 hours, that was very conflict-ridden, problematic, in-your-face. Those websites are all about judgment. And it's the Facebook is also about judgment, but it it doesn't appear on the face of it to be about that. But that's what you're doing when you're perusing other people's pages and looking at other people's photographs and looking at other people's biographies is you're judging. Right. And so you, you in the film you you balance that into these courtroom where the not courtroom scenes these the are depositions. deposition scenes and there's a lot of judging in the deposition mm-hmm. scenes by everybody of all around the table right the th- three blue suits and the three blue ties yeah. and fincher also very brilliantly um, separates the depositions by uh, color tone mm-hmm. so you know exactly where you're at right even though on the surface it all appears to be the same yeah, and the editing, by the way, the, the, to be able to cut through two de- different oh, depositions. It's, it's work. This is probably the best movie, at least of the 2010s, as it currently stands from what I've seen. You know, and it's just remarkable that it didn't win the Academy Award. I know, oh, I know. the Academy Award doesn't matter. Everybody knows that, yeah. but it does matter. And it is one of those that, well, did win that year. I, I'm not really sure, but I know that this will probably be one of the, it will probably be better remembered than whatever won. Which is probably going to be an incredibly embarrassing statement when I look up who actually won the Academy well, Award well, that year. Yeah, well, you go ahead and look up that, and, and I'll just recite what this, seems to be this, I don't want to say a problem that Fincher has, but definitely a trend that he has in his career. Where I mean, Alien 3 was what it was, and yes. we'll just move on from that. that. Yeah. But 7 had just such a huge impact. I mean, oh, sure. 7 was in theaters forever. I went to go see it like two times. You know, I, I was just floored by. I'd never seen anything like it. We still quote lines from that movie to this day. You know, what's in the box and all that shit. Uh, Captain and everything. Detective, rather, when he's screaming at the end. Uh, and then Fight Club comes out, and I remember you and I and your wife went to go see Fight Club, mm-hmm. and just coming out of the theater like punching the air, going, "Oh my god, that was so amazing!" And just being completely blown away by it. it's the best classic movie we've seen and. 10 years and I was never impressed, very impressed by movies in the nineties. Uh, so I thought, uh, that year, 1999, that, well, that was that, a, that was a stellar year. And there's a, there's a book about it called the best movie year ever, which is, is a very good book. Uh, and, and then, but it just seemed like nobody, 
Nobody cared about Fight Club. Uh, it just came and it went. Yeah, but it was definitely not a movie for everybody. No, that's true. Panic Room was a movie for everybody, which which is also an awesome movie, which, again, a, people didn't. I, I, I bet you it made money, though. It, I bet you it did make money, but nobody's talking about oh, it now. Oh, gosh, no. Because it's, it's like the game, right? Another one of his just kind of wrote thrillers, but it's right. exceptionally well done. Well, that's kind of like The Stranger by Orson Welles. Very well done, very stylistic, and for some reason doesn't attain very much memory. Right, it's not embedded in the zeitgeist. Yeah, and Zodiac might be might be um, his best film. It, it might be. I can um, see where it would be people's favorite for sure. Yeah, tied with the social network. I mean, I, I cannot believe in between Sorkin's writing, uh, Fincher's directing – uh, the production value of the film and and what everyone's bringing to the table in terms of acting, the social network. How is this not like the greatest film of the last twenty years? Oh, I, yeah, I think you it's know. one of those that you will probably see. It, it's probably already been reevaluated and probably elevated to. I would imagine most everybody's top ten, at least most serious critics. I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. Of the twenty tens. Yeah, people who aren't writing reviews in their basement like me. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. They yeah. probably haven't even hired. Okay. At least I'm not in my mom's basement. The King's Speech. That's what one. Are you shitting me? Yeah, I'm not. And I'm sure it's a phenomenal. I've never seen it, so uh, I can't judge it. It's a good movie. I'm sure it's very good. But it's a throwaway. Yeah. It's not. And I mean throwaway in the nicest sense mm-hmm. of the term. It's not this well, movie. Well, it's like what? Green Book winning over Get Out, right? That's crazy. It's like Green Book. Well, I'm yeah. sure Green Book also is a. It's probably. I, a, I'm not seen I it. hear it's a I'm, good I'm film. I'm sure it's a fine film, but it just won't be. Remembered or what was the um, the silent movie that won back in 2013 or 2014? The actor, I think that was the name of it. You remember that? No. No. Listeners, look, I am not making this up. up. There was a silent movie that won the Academy Award for best for best picture, in like 2000 in 2013. Yeah. And as you can see, it made a heck of an impact on our prestigious hosts yeah well and of course wardo goes back into the uh the jewish fraternity party here and of course the door says private entrance <laughs> right <laughs> yes. so fincher hitting you on the on this thing constantly bringing up that theme of exclusivity oh yeah and also it's one of those things where fincher is actually his movies are freaking funny they they're, are they're not- they are Necessarily pleasant, but they are funny. Well, even Seven has a. It was probably. Oh, it's funny. Movie. You know, between that and the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, those are mm-hmm. those are probably his darkest films in terms of mood. But oh, man, they've know. they've got um, they've got a lot of humor in it. Well, Panic Room doesn't have too many jokes in it. Well, I don't. But no, that's I, totally based on fear. Panic Room is all fear based, right? Intention, and I I know the Jared Leto character and all that. I mean, there was just total comedy of errors where there are. Oh yeah, that's right. In the beginning and with him and Forrest Whitaker, like mess. yeah, the bumbling. Yeah, it is, and it is funny. And then Dwight Yoakam showing up. Yes, yeah, it was inherently it was just one of the scariest. No, people that's I can remember. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But where? Okay, so. Oh, Did you find the silent movie? Man? No, I haven't. I'll look it up. Okay. I'll look it up afterwards. People either have turned off by now or they already know the answer. Right. So so there's two lawsuits going on. We talked about lighting and setting to distinguish the two, the Winklevi lawsuit. Um, they claimed that they, in, in effect, hired Mark to write their code for an idea that they had, and thus the idea of Facebook and the billions that go with it are theirs. Even though they didn't write one line of code and nothing Mark wrote for Facebook ever entered into the Winklevoss's hands. Right. So this goes back to the idea that we don't pay Thomas Edison for every time we turn on a light bulb or play music on my iPhone. Although he would like you to. Although he would like you to. The other lawsuit is an internal one 
was Saverin, and he alleges that he was given a, a stake in Facebook. He put up the initial money for it, and slowly Mark screwed him out of his interest. Yeah. I mean, and he, that one he totally did. That's the the most solid footing for the lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, for he, sure. he was definitely definitively screwed over. I mean, it may have been his fault or whatever, because this only portrays essentially his perspective, because it makes it a very compelling story. I don't know the whole story. Right. Well, but, and for but I do remember looking that up. It's like, yeah, nobody else's shares were diluted. So this this goes back to to the screenwriting, which is, man, I don't know how many times I'm going to bring up Aaron Sorkin's name, but uh, Sorkin read The Accidental Billionaires, but he actually used a text from the depositions that was given to him. Uh, which is not public, uh, to write some of the dialogue for the film. And there, there's another website where they actually detail things that are in the deposition. And apparently Zuckerberg turned over hundreds and hundreds of texts uh, between him and Eduardo Saverin about what was going on this summer, mm-hmm. right? Because I believe that the, he, he started... To Palo Alto? Right, yeah. So they started in the fall. Oh, by the way, uh, the name of the movie was The Artist. The it Artist, was, was right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch that one. So he started in the fall, I believe. By uh, by the spring, he had it up and running, mm-hmm. and then he moved out to California when he finished the spring term, and he effectively never went back. And it was around uh, August is when uh, Saverin found out that uh, his and all this is in two thousand three, two thousand four is when Saverin found out he was screwed out of his of his shares. So. But the, the text that Zuckerberg was uh, showing um, for the depositions were all these texts. And, and I, I think there was a great minority of them had to do with the business. Mm-hmm. Everything was partying, girls, right. uh, the weather. It, it just did not seem that Saverin had his heart and his mind into the oh, enterprise. And I understand that he did not from what the little bit that I had read was that he seemed to be very much a – um, not a detached partner, but certainly not as invested as some of the other main players. That's for sure. That being said, he had his shares. Right. He, and he put up the initial money. Right. It he was, did. And he still has his shares. Right. He, he got something back. It's total NDA. Who knows what he has, but his name is back on the masthead. Yeah. And the joke about uh, John Harvard, the statue of John Harvard, the, the three lives of John Harvard, I, I found that exceedingly funny because uh, everybody's lying. In this film, I think I think it was. I mean, that's a true story. Actually, Saverin really? actually did have to go through that right in order to get into the Phoenix Club. But I think Fincher really included that to sort of show how yeah. nobody knows anything about anybody. Yeah, but you know, I, I, the one thing I do find very interesting, and it, it, this is where you know courtroom dramas and these type of this kind of subgenre, even though there's no courtroom scenes in this, is that I don't think anybody's lying in any of their depositions. Is they completely believe they're perspective and point of view that's true you know i think that that's part of the reason it makes it compelling because it would be very easy to portray the winklevoss's wink of eye as just these bumbling evil jack wagons which i really don't i think it's actually a very kind portrayal relative to how you can oftentimes see these type of characters that these avatars portrayed Mm -hmm. you know one of the brothers you know, he's exceptionally honorable. At least that's the way he wants to present himself. You know, men of Harvard, they don't sue. And there's just so many different things where there's no dumb characters in here. People make 
incredibly dumb decisions. Right. But there's no stupid people. No, and it's another thing that I, I have to hand it to Army Hammer and David Fincher for centering in on uh, is, is that you get a very, very good distinguishing line between Cameron and Tyler yeah, Winklevoss. They definitely have different personalities. Right. They're and, similar, but... They're yeah, different. but it's it's like the, the break in the gas, mm-hmm. right? That's that's how I that's for, a, that's saw a them. Good right? way to see it. Yeah. There's Moskowitz saying, you know, that girl in that class. And again, something that's very basic that we've all done or been exposed to. But, I mean, this is pretty amazing because this is one of the huge components of Facebook, as I understand it, is the status update. Was that Control-Alt-Delete that he put on his computers? Uh, I don't know if it was either that or... Because that would be funny. He hit Control-Alt-Delete and he ran out of the room because he locks up his computer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You log out. Right. It's like he's logging out. Of the, uh, you know that conversation, mm-hmm. but gotcha. Yeah, well, I mean, yes. I, okay, now I get your point. I'm sorry. I am just dumb as a box of rocks right That's now. That's all right. Nine, you asshole. I mean, that, even right there, those details are so well done. Yeah. So we've gone way off your script. Well, then that's all right. I mean, now um, I was I was watching it again last week. And I, I saw two things in the style that that really popped out at me. Just just like everything, you watch it enough times, you start picking up things. Mm-hmm. And one of them is when when the depositions are going on, there's a lot of cutting. Yes, uh, the, the editing is very very fast, and nobody wants to sit through a legal drama with no cuts. No, you're going to have to generate some momentum. Right, and then there the cuts lengthen. Even during standard dialogue, as when you're out of the deposition scenes. The other thing that I noticed, and of course, if you watch YouTube enough, you'll find David Fincher's probably in the top five directors that everybody makes YouTube videos about. Oh, that's, I don't doubt that for a second. And, that totally makes sense. And everybody's got a fucking opinion on it. I don't doubt it. Just like we do. No, sure. And there are some very brilliant people who have broken down a lot of his films mm-hmm. into various um, thematic. Uh, elements to showcase why he's so good. Mm -hmm. And the best one that I saw was this guy who took uh, his last five films and then showed camera moves just like this one that just passed and centering the character um, on the frame and then moving the camera to mimic the motion of the character. Gotcha. So um, Saverin just sat down. So the camera actually elevated to follow his movement downwards it's it's very easy to follow someone down the hall and center them and and do that. But Fincher will have someone walk through a doorway and move to the left, and the camera will go through two or three movements to keep that person in center frame. And everything around the character is moving. Mm-hmm. And typically, and now the center of that shot. Right, right. Here's here's Mark praying, which I thought that that was pretty good. And, and, of course, we also have to say, you know, um, Mark Zuckerberg and Eduardo Saverin and most of their friend Dustin Moskowitz, all these guys were Jewish. Uh, they were all in the fraternity together. Uh, so for those of you who are freaking out, you know, it's I'm sure that Jews pray just the same as everybody else does. They just learned how to do it in the synagogue and not in the church. So the, the rocking back and forth is, is uh, culturally different than what uh, the Christian community would be used to. I had somebody bring that up. Like, it didn't look like he's praying. I'm like, trust me, he's praying. To be honest with you, I thought he was sleeping. 
Well, that's a good reading of it. Well, that's what I thought he was doing. Was he like was he's just, done. He's just nodding off. I mean, he's been burning and grinding himself to death. And he's yeah. been sleeping for weeks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that was the. What that's I what you got out of yeah. it. Interesting. Yeah. Physical comedy there. Which I have to say, I, I'm one of those guys. I'm I'm out of the box on that. Somebody falls down, I don't immediately laugh. Well, I don't either. But when it's well done, and well, he's subtle, and he did it very well. Yeah. That's just a that's just a preference on my part. Mm-hmm. This kills me that they would have her whole room set aside to just do this. But I mean, you know, you must have a facility like this for for people who row crew. But you talk about. It's certainly not part of our it's, reality. It's not even the 1%. It's like the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Who like crew because who, that is incredibly challenging. Uh, yeah. I'm, maybe there's a thousand people in the world who row crew. Yeah. <laughs> at least at any kind of super high level. It just seems like it. But whatever. Josh Pence is the actor who plays Cameron Winklevoss. Oh, okay. He's face disappointed. Show up, right? I mean, that actor Yeah, he's in other shots in the background. Right, Fincher yeah, used him, yeah. Isn't isn't he the guy who comes up to Eduardo and Zuckerberg when they're outside the bathroom so he can go into the use the rest? I think I think that's him, I think yeah. That's him. I think that's just yeah. And he's he's actually British, if I remember correctly. But in that scene I think he's using an American accent. Sorry, it's very easy to just kind of stare at this movie because it's so well done. Well, and okay, see the you see the slight free. camera moves there mm-hmm. that would happen. They said that one there, and I'm surprised there's not one on him. But here, just like that happened with yeah. the hammer. Well, that's Army Hammer there. That's Josh Pence with the hair slicked back. Sorry, well, yeah. In in terms of the aesthetic appeal of the film, mm-hmm. is what you. Yeah, it's just it's a moving. Okay, here you go. It's a moving picture. Wow. <laughs> Give me 13th century. Well, no, I, there is a scene in Zodiac of Robert Downey Jr. coming off the back of an airplane. Mm-hmm. And I can probably watch that shot a hundred times. Right. He's, yeah, it's, it's, and it's not because it's Robert Downey Jr. It's yeah. because everything Fincher did to get that image. It worked. Yes. He's one of the handful. He really is. I mean, I know, well, I don't know this, but I, I seem to have a feeling that a lot of people kind of put him as a modern day Kubrick to a degree. Um, I don't know if that's really accurate or maybe I just kind of correlate those two individuals in my mind, but I find him. Well, in terms of his, in terms of his technical skill level, um, his attention to detail, right. You know, he's certainly not very prolific, which is unfortunate for us. It is, but you could tell early on in his career, like you, you look at a simple shot like this where, you know, even the banner Harvard is just, offset he Mm -hmm. did that for a reason he didn't want it centered for a reason that that radiator that the heater is in that shot of nahindra for a reason and you you get that i remember being when did vogue come out by madonna well i was like 12 or 13 and something okay 92 or 93 so i was i was like 17 or 18 or even the jamie janie got a gun video from Mm -hmm. aerosmith 
you watched those videos and you knew you were seeing something special. Right. They were so different than everything else that was going on. And I get that for one hour and 54 minutes of the social network. Mm-hmm. I understand that what I'm seeing is different than everything else in the theater. Yeah, they don't make a lot of this anymore. Unf- well, I, guess, I don't know. That's probably a terrible way to put it because they never make made a lot of this type of stuff. It's just, this is always going to be in the very unusually artistic and high level. That's why he is what he is. Yeah. Now, at the risk of sounding elitist ourselves, I would also like to add that. Embrace the elitist. You, you know, um, we're talking about a, a, a technical ability in order to tell a story. There's there's plenty of stuff that we, you know, I'm a huge fan, if you must know, of Ice Pirates. Well, we've all got our burdens to bear. And and not everybody is going to call that film art. I did see it in the drive-in. I, I would disagree. Kind of disqual- no, I saw it in the drive-in. You uh, can't disagree oh, with that. Oh, I, I can't disagree there. with that. True. But <laughs> I disagree with the idea that people don't think the Ice Pirates is art. Um, well, it's definitely art. I mean, it's absolutely art. Right. It, it doesn't mean it's On the technical skill level of, of filmmaking, it's, it's not anywhere near the social network. And that's the sure. point that we're trying to make. Yes. Right. You can go through any, any movie clip. I've got Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back right next to Kill Bill mm-hmm. in my video collection simply because it's Jay and K. And I, those might be the two spectrums that we're it's looking pretty close. Right? <laughs> Although those are actually pretty well related. I mean, you both have. Okay. Well, we, they're both we're gonna, gonna, yeah, we're, we're getting gonna, it. Yeah, we're not going to get So going back to this movie that we are watching. Yeah. Right. And this is actually pretty interesting. I, I literally cannot remember when Facebook came on the scene. But in my mind, it is very similar to the way it's portrayed in this. When that, it's like two weeks later, people are saying Facebook me. And I don't remember Facebook, like, all of a sudden showing up. I don't remember, you know, BF before Facebook and, you know, AF. Yeah, that's a different thing altogether. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but it is definitely everywhere. And you can't escape it. No. And I don't remember, but it is, I, I bet you it was just like this. Where all of a sudden I didn't know what it was. And all of a sudden it was associated with everything join our facebook page you know right every single bit of advertising has that component embedded in it somewhere well i did um i did have a myspace page and now i vaguely remember myspace and and i don't remember how many years i had it maybe two or three years Mm -hmm. i bet it still exists too uh no uh tom sold it for no no i bet you your facebook site still exists or your my book, my MySpace my, my page. Right. Well, it doesn't because they shut down MySpace. They shut it down because Tom sold it for one hundred twenty-six million dollars to. Still, yeah. I think it still exists. Well, I don't, I don't even know how to get back to my. Well, we can check that after. Yes. Okay. You know so yeah. who is that? And what Disney show was she on? Oh, is she a Disney actress? Yes, because I remember seeing this. The girl with the red bra. Yes, because I remember the the uh, Asian gal because she was on a show that I used to watch with my daughter. Pretty much at the same time when this movie came out. And then I seen her like going, oh, this is exceptionally weird. Oh, because a Disney star is. Well, just the, yeah, my experience with that actress was, oh, okay, she's part of a Disney show. And then she was on this and a little bit slightly different than a Disney princess. Well, I was kind of amazed that Rashida Jones was in it. and yeah, Very understated, yeah. you know, role, but really important, actually. I love the guy who says Brenda Song. She was on, she was on something. She's done a lot of uh, Disney. Robot Chicken. 
life in pieces. Getting back to before the social network. Phineas and Ferb, Wizards of Waverly Place. Maybe that's what it was. Hannah Montana. I think it was Middle Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Oh, that was it. Yay me. We watch that all the time. Uh, that's so sweet. So, yeah, uh, that never occurred to me. Saverin brings this up actually in in the Accidental Billionaires about how um, for the nerd class, mm-hmm. having an Asian girlfriend was a status symbol. I, I would have thought just having a girlfriend would be a that's, status symbol, right? But I guess that's how you get into the one percent of relationships right. is if you have an Asian girlfriend. Gotcha. And there's and they do have the whole thing about. Asian women and Jewish men and how they're perfect matches. Right. Which is a very, just a funny conversation. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And there's, everybody wants something different. Everybody wants a girlfriend, of course, but everybody involved in this wants something different out of it. I mean, Mark wants to rule the world or how it's portrayed uh, because he's, well, actually the, 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 the motivation is I want to prove Erica wrong I want to do something to impress that girl who turned me down. You notice in the bar later when she tells him to have fun with your video game, that's when he turns right around and tells Eduardo, we need to expand. Right. Yeah, he's definitely driven by it, but I don't think that's what his goal is. I mean, my impression for this goal is, I don't know how to best describe it, but he is very interested in creating an empire to, maybe not thought of as an empire, but he also wants to, the character yes yes is very interested in inflicting harm on others like schadenfreunde i'm not sure i mean he i mean he on multiple occasions basically tries to destroy the characters Hmm. he does i mean he sits here and writes that blog post about his girlfriend right he shuts out eduardo and he tries to you know doom him with the whole fake story about the chicken it's not a fake story but planted story I mean, he shuts out multiple characters throughout this, you know, and he despises the Winklevi, mm-hmm. right? And he tries to minimize them for him to succeed. I mean, he's actually quite the evil character in many regards. Yeah, pushing people away. Yeah. Yeah. Almost by design. And that goes down to uh, the character, Saverin, who who says at the end of the movie, I was your only friend. Yeah. I was I the only guy. Yeah. And... He completely screwed him. Yeah. For no reason. It it's, it appears... No, there's no tangible benefit. There's no tangible reason. There seems, in the accidental billionaires, there seems to be a... a oh, and I'm speaking purely about the confines, pure, purely of, about the, the confines of the story, yes. And IRL, there seems to be a, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a, a very uh, persuasive argument that Saverin uh, did not put the sweat into the into the company, but you don't screw people out of their shares no, uh, because they didn't show up to work. They still own their shares. Right. You can certainly fire them. Right. But you can't penalize them beyond that scope. Right. So, I mean, in that aspect, I was actually, I I didn't know anything. All I knew was I saw Jesse Eisenberg's picture on a poster Mm -hmm. and it said, um, how can you gain 500 million friends 
You're going to make a few enemies. You're going to make a few enemies, yeah. And it said a David Fincher film, and I said, I'm in. And I went to go see it. I didn't know anything about Facebook. And to be honest, I was not that hip or excited to see a movie about Facebook. But by the end of the story, when when the pin drops and you find out what happened, I was shocked. Mm -hmm. Even even going through the experience of what an asshole this character is, I was shocked at how a Saverin was treated. Yeah, it was. It's, it is rather. I would never fuck some, over somewhat upsetting. Yeah, I would never fuck over a friend like that. It was, yeah. is just shocking. Danny hooks his buddy up for dates and drinks. Yeah, like even something like see the camera move from right to left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the part where I said, "Wait, I know I saw her in a Disney show." <laughs> this is confusing me to no end. When that does look like a bathroom on the spaceship in Alien 3. <laughs> the, Fincher likes green. I don't know what it is. The, a lot of his films are tinted with a with a green, a different shades of green. Fight Club and Zodiac. Uh, Panic Room seems to be more like a blue. Yeah, it does. But I think there are some... Uh, it's been a while since I've seen that as well. You're supposed to know that that's Mark because of the uh, flip-flops. My assumption was that's... I don't, I don't think if you got that, you aren't paying any attention whatsoever. Yeah. And he posts... Orgasm, goofy grins. Okay. Yeah, there, Josh Benz. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we're cool guys. Fine. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Garfield, this is a couple years before his Spider Man role. Mm-hmm. Um, the Amazing Spider Man, which I thought was a decent movie, other than the fact that we had another 35 year old play a teenager. Right. It was reasonably, I mean, it wasn't god awful or anything, it was just not amazing. Right. Because, you know, it's a Spider-Man. Yeah, here's here's another look at, I mean, that reaction that Mara has when she looks over and sees that it's him. Yeah, she's not too ecstatic. And could it be more awkward? I kind of doubt it. It, it. it must lend some credibility to Fincher's idea of after the 15th take, now you're malleable. Mm-hmm. And after the 50th take, now you're responding to what I want. Right. And after the 75th take, now you're in a spot where you can do everything that I ask you to do to a T. Because she acts so natural. It it really reminds me of Molly Ringwall and John Hughes. Okay. How he was just able to elicit exactly what he wanted. At, they were on some sort of wavelength. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see between Fincher and Mara. There's a wavelength there that's very natural. Yes. I mean, she. Well, that's the nice thing about this movie is all the performances feel, ex, to me, they all feel exceptionally natural, and it's very easy to lose yourself in the story, <coughs> and just buy the performances as just the characters mm-hmm. behaving. I also like the scene because she's wearing a beret. <laughs> that's just. But it's not raspberry. But whatever. Yeah. Correct. I, I am a beret-wearing fool. For yes. Her. Our audience uh, never gets to see me. But. It's, a, it's an exceptionally unusual choice, but it, it, you pull it off. Oh, thank it's you very much. Decision. I appreciate that. It's unusual yeah. from the ex, strictly, you know, that, <laughs> it's just not common. I know a guy who wears a beret, yeah. and it's weird. And it's it just all, uncommon. It's been weird for 20 years. Yeah. But I'm sure any hat at all would, would look equally impressive on Rooney Mara. She seems like a hat, like she could pull it off. Yeah. 
So we went through the motivation already, rejection and exclusion. Um, the film brings up Eduardo Saverin's dad constantly. Mm-hmm. I think he mentions him four times. Like he says, you know, my dad would be impressed with this. You know what this means to my dad? Mark says, well, of course I do. And I don't know if Mark means, of course I do, because I have a father too. And I know what it would mean to my dad. Or, or it means, of course, I know what this means to your dad because he knows how obsessed with his dad Eduardo is. I, I think it's probably more the latter because to a certain degree, you don't even envision in the story Mark Zuckerberg having a parent. Right. Yeah. They don't, they don't come up at all. No, yeah. To a certain degree, it's impossible to imagine. I mean, he's almost portrayed, like I said, not as a human. Right. Yeah. Like a robot. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And it did, it did convey in, in the book quite a bit because Saverin actually comes from Brazil. His parents were, uh, were Jews who did not feel comfortable in Brazil. They had a lot, a lot of problems there with antisemitism. So they'd come to the United States as immigrants. They were wealthy, yes, of course, which is why he went to Harvard. Now, having said that, Zuckerberg's family is not wealthy. He went to Harvard on, on a full scholarship. They wanted him to go there because they knew that he was going to be he was gifted this, and talented. Yeah, and had he had a brilliant mind. He didn't pay Harvard a cent for his education, and he didn't make it to his junior year because he didn't have to. Right. So he dropped out after a sophomore year. And, you know, like Bill Gates, I'm sure he never looked back. And why should he? Everywhere the Winklevosses are, there's dark wood. Yeah, I mean, they are very much old school, you know. And is Fincher trying to say it's exactly the word that I was going to use? I don't know if he's characterizing. I think as much as anything, there's just a correlation inherent in your brain. You know, there's this kind of subliminal, I know what this means, and this is what that means. Which means, of course, he's doing it on purpose. Mm -hmm. But it establishes so much without having to say anything. I mean, these guys that I'm saying a lot, Harvard started land books. I mean, they... Pay attention to the rules. They're very rule oriented. Mm-hmm. And they're not out of line in my opinion. No, no. And I, I was actually. They pay, they pay tuition. They carry 3.9. They work in there. They actually. Right. And that's one of the things that I think is really good is that these two dudes are working their asses off. That's right. I mean, they are killing it. They are. I mean, sure. They were given things because everybody. Who has children and who wants to, wants to give their kids things. But Stanford, like Stanford. Um, yeah, I love Stanford. But I mean, it's these, hard to focus right now. Yeah. But, but, but back to the Winklevosses. Yeah, they're established as hardworking. And literally, they seem to be very stand-up guys. Right. And when we shouldn't, uh, they, they come across every bit as, uh, every bit as bit as dicky as Mark does. Oh, sure. With their attitude and everything, but I have to say, you know, these guys are up at five a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, they're hardworking, they're hard studying. GPA. Yeah, uh, it, it's very hard for me to find fault with them. They're not wasting their time at yeah. Harvard. No, yeah. they didn't waste their time at the Olympics. You don't see them womanizing. Yeah. I mean, there's a joke yeah. about we didn't check with our girlfriends on you know if they were in the right. face match thing, but right. that was pulled off more as a joke, kind of a show. Well, because guys aren't going to think about that. Yeah, yeah. but it also shows that oh, they have a sense of humor. Right. Actually, all in all, they're objectively better people than Mark Zuckerberg. Right. In this particular story. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And it's very it's very hard for me not to, to empathize with them. Like, I mean, I don't think – this is just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the Winklevosses have a, have a 
a breadcrumb to stand on as far as having an idea and, you know, nothing was patented or copyrighted or trademarked or whatever, you know, he, he got to it first, but they did get a pretty good cash settlement, didn't they? They got an enormous cash settlement and, and that's something there. And that's Zuckerberg's fault for Mm -hmm. sure. And I think that's directly because he let them on for like 16 weeks or whatever. If he had told them immediately, no, you know what guys, I'm sorry. I'm not interested. And then he had turned around and did what he did. I think there, there had been no question that the lawsuit would have been dismissed. And they probably wouldn't have brought the lawsuit against him. Right. Right. It was because of the, you know, they, he led them on so much, Mm -hmm. but there, there is no, no uh, code from one to the other. I mean, he didn't write any code for their website, uh, connect you. And, uh, they, they didn't give him anything that was, that was in, uh, Facebook. Right. So in terms of technical know-how, they're, they're pretty separate. However, a base idea, and I don't know how much that's actually worth, right? To me, I don't know if a, a basic idea, somebody comes up with a really good idea and somebody else executes that idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much property, intellectual property. I mean, how much that works. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I, you know, I do know that, uh, nobody from deep impact or Armageddon was suing each other. No. 1998. That's what I remember, you know, uh, or Dante's peak and volcano, you know, the, why did they do those? Things? Or the one year there were three competing Alexander, the great films and only one made it through Greenland. Very unusual. Yes. You know, and one was going to be like by Martin Scorsese or something with Leonardo DiCaprio starring. I just, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I still love Stanford. I, I, I don't think that, again, my personal opinion, mm-hmm. they did get a, a settlement. They, they have anything to stand on. But he just did not help in any given situation because he just seems like he's so socially awkward. He didn't know how to handle right. any um, of it. And if he had just... Asked Eduardo, I think he's, he'd been a lot better off. But he, uh, but he is of, who he he's is. He's got a lot of pride. Yes, he, he does. He thinks he knows better than everybody else. And to a certain degree, that's a fault. Versus the Winklevi, who actually admit that they don't know anything right. and they're constantly seeking advice mm-hmm. advice from their lawyer, advice from the president, advice from. And this really is a tremendous scene with the uh, president of Harvard. Oh, yeah. You know, why are you here? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. They want to sell me a franchise <laughs> again the fincher's humor mm-hmm. which people don't give enough credit for it has to be funny because i mean oftentimes his topics are so dark these would be crushing experiences you couldn't handle well in this this scene is is also in uh the winklevosses were also interviewed for the accidental billionaires and they made made a very persuasive point and the scene is actually in the accidental billionaires. They recount their, their disappointing meeting with the president of Harvard. And, um, I didn't see anything particularly out of line. They paid tuition like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, they were saying, I was actually surprised by his reaction, but you know, he, he's allowed to have any reaction that he deems fit. He's president of Harvard for a reason. Right. But again, it's it's all about tone, and it's all about how you present yourself. And it, it just does not seem like there's anyone in this situation that's likable, except for Eduardo. Yeah, he definitely comes off the best. I mean, I'm not even a... Nahindra seems like a bit of a jerk, too. Yeah, kind of always a little dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's probably... Napoleon yeah, unfair, Complex or something. Like. Unfair characterization, but yes, it's... 
not that flattering. Yeah. But yeah, go out and invent something. Which, and and they did. They did invent uh, their own website, and okay. it did thrive. Um, they shut it down after a few years because it, it just didn't take off like Facebook took off. And how many things did their contention is if, if we had Mark program it the way that we had asked him to program it, then, would have been there. then we would have had it and we would have been partners and we would have been sitting on a billion too. And that is, is the, the angle that holds the most water. I think. Yes. Uh, at the same time, uh, the summer before Mark started coding, um, Saverin took, I think it was $3,000 mm-hmm. of his tuition money, and he put it into oil futures. And in three months, because of weather patterns, yes. uh, he churned out $300,000 in 90 days. And the time's going to get cold. Apparently that was all based on an algorithm that he created mm-hmm. uh, that, that compared weather prices and in yep. oil futures. Was that Saverin? Cause I remember that being referenced in this movie. In, yeah, that was Eduardo Saverin. Okay. And, uh, in, I believe that he, where he went to go work, they were, they're using that algorithm. Mm-hmm. Because he moved to Singapore a few years ago. He actually surrendered his U.S. citizenship. Yes, Singapore, yeah. Singapore does not uh, allow dual citizenship. Okay. So in order to stay in Singapore, he had to surrender it, which I, I thought I wouldn't do that. I've lived in a foreign country before and, <laughs> and paid a lot of money to two governments, but I would never give up my U.S. citizenship. Like a 335-year-old doorknob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I, I I didn't get the doorknob thing. Um, the Winklevoss scene again, establishment tradition, mm-hmm. and him breaking the doorknob to me was a sign of disrespect. I get him being upset after the meeting, but I didn't understand why all of a sudden he just. Well, see, I took it more as as a signal that the characters who have always followed the path as it's supposed to be, we're supposed to do this, we're supposed to do that, we're supposed to do this, where they change and say, okay, we're not going to. We're not playing by the rules. We're not anymore. playing by the. We're going to do what we, not what other people would like us to do, but but we would we would want to do. This is Aaron Sorkin. Oh, right there, that is. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, and he's in Moneyball too, and and apparently Fincher had to talk him into doing this. Like they, there was an actor on set that day, and Fincher was like, "No, you're going to do it." And Sorkin was like, "What? Like, I don't have all day to <laughs> shoot this one yeah, scene. I don't know about that, especially the way you direct <laughs> seventy-five takes." Uh, and then, then there's another scene that actually Aaron Sorton directed. It was it was a scene of shot outside the window of the kids in the college dorm eating pizza and looking at uh, face smash. Okay. And Sorkin actually chose the the clothing and the camera angle and everything to go around with it. And Fincher said he wanted him to do it. And this may be my favorite scene in the whole movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Why? Oh, I, I don't know. I just know that when I was watching it again, the combination of the music, the conversation. The reactions of the different characters to Sean Parker, who really does not come off as a likable character in this whole movie. But at this point, you completely get the hero worship. And it really portrays, again, Eduardo is really sympathetic, whereas seeing right through the bullshit. And I just really enjoy that scene. There are three reasons why I like this scene in this movie. Uh Uh-oh. Justin fucking Timberlake. Okay. 
walk the watch the way oh, yeah, he walks into well, this a, this shot here. I totally get it. Right, he definitely has it. That guy could and should be a huge movie star. This but he's making enough money and having enough influence doing what he wants to do. Look at him. Yeah, he's very cool. He is exceptionally cool. That's love angel music, baby. That's amazing. Now, I was one of these people who I don't care about some Disney dude who right. had a music career and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then I saw um, it's the one he made with Mike Myers, the love guru. Oh, I never saw that. Doesn't break my yeah, mind. JT is I've in heard that. nothing but bad things. Uh, yeah, you should yeah. give that a shot. I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> if you watched Zoolander, you should at least watch I the Love Guru. <laughs> don't know if that computes in my head. We'll table that and come back to it later. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's really well done. Just and then the countercutting with yeah. the deposition and Eduardo's almost embarrassment when recording it. I mean, I just really think this is masterfully done. The cutting goes really well. Yeah, the slow mo the music. You know, fast cut, slow motion. I mean, this is definitely my favorite scene. I mean, and it's one of the few times that's really well lit, it feels like. Right. Probably because he entered it, and all of a sudden he brings sunshine. It's just so many things work together. He he does seem to light up the room. Yeah. And, and I have to say that. I've heard the same thing about Sean Parker. Sean Parker's in the room. Everybody knows he's in the room. Some people are like that. He's yeah. He's just got that uh, that personality. He's got some charisma. Yeah, and charisma can be infectious to people who, like Mark, are, are looking for it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I I do not see Mark's character or the real Mark as particularly charismatic people. No. I've I've seen the real Zuckerberg give a speech at Facebook at a. Mm -hmm. At, you know, like an unveiling event like Apple has every six months. And I, could, I wanted to fall asleep. Couldn't get <laughs> through it. I, I couldn't say the same about Jesse Eisenberg. I could probably watch him talk about anything for 15 minutes. Right. Right. But Parker. Except for his devious machinations against Superman. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Aside from that. I don't know. I, that didn't bother me. This Lex Luthor didn't bother me. Yeah, that's fine. We'll, but, but I, we'll get, a table for but I get it. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, the, I was someone who was very dismissive of a pop singer mm -hmm. as an actor until I saw what he could do. Oh yeah. And he's, he's exceptionally talented. Yes. Yes. I mean, he's one of those people that it wouldn't shock me if he was athletic enough to be a low level professional athlete. He's just one of those people that appears to be touched by God. He, he seems to, to put a hundred percent of everything into everything that he does. Oh yeah. He takes his natural gifts and he works his ass off. That's the only impression I get. Yeah, and is he, is he, I can't remember who he's married to. Jessica Biel, I yeah, think. Just, yeah, I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, a, another person who is not just aesthetically pleasing, but seems to give everything 110%. Yeah. And again, comes from a very um, family-oriented background. Like she was on Seventh Heaven and things like that. Now right. we're talking about spouses, none of that matters, but... But Timberlake brings a magnetism. Oh, yeah, and it's critically important. I mean, this character and the role he plays in the Facebook story in this movie, you need to have somebody that you can totally buy. It's like, oh, that's why people did those things. Right. Because this guy just, he said it was a good idea. Well, and, and Sean Parker, the real Sean Parker, uh, much like this character is portrayed, you, he, I won't, I won't say that he was living out of his car, but he actually did not have a home because of the whole Napster 
issue. He had a BMW, but he didn't, he didn't have an official residence. Right. He was sleeping in his girlfriend's house or whoever that girlfriend happened mm-hmm. to be or our friend's couches. Or when he was at Facebook, he was living in the house with, with Mark and Dustin. Right. Um, until they asked him to leave. I think it was about a year later after Peter Thiel made the investment. Mm-hmm. So, but this, but this scene is definitely the rock star scene. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm even just, I'm just watching the, uh, reading the dialogue because a lot of it is exceptionally comical. Oh, it is. Um, there's like picking up a 3000 pound run. He's that's be an exceptionally strong man. If you ever watch, um, oceans 11 with the commentary mm-hmm. on it's Andy Garcia, Matt Damon and, um, uh, Brad Pitt. Okay. And, and there's several parts in the commentary where none of them are talking. Yeah. It makes it refer <laughs> dull listening. So I apologize. Yeah. to. Andy well, they're, they're all so interested in the dialogue and they actually genuinely like the movie right. that they, they're, Oh yeah, we forgot. We should be talking about this. So, you know, not a stunner. Not that um, tied into Napster. Only was only tangentially aware of it when it did exist because I don't think I was ever on it. Right. So, I mean, what's your? Did you were you on the Napster? I was. I I downloaded Napster probably in early 1999, and I had it on my laptop, mm-hmm. uh, not my desktop. And I was downloading files, and I was putting those files onto disk, and I was listening to them. Now. I would say, actually, you know, this this was at a time when I was not too technically savvy, right? Um, and I didn't know that you could get free software on the internet just anywhere or where you would get it. Like download.net was not really a huge thing then. I was doing it primarily because I wanted to mix my playlists and burn them on CD. Right. So I was actually the great majority of the time uh, I was probably getting um, music that I already had. Because I wanted to move the MP3s around, I wasn't necessarily getting a lot of free music. That wasn't that, the objective. That wasn't the objective. The, other than um, live plugins it, from Dave Matthews I Band, you couldn't. Right, I couldn't wasn't get accessible in either way. Right, so Dave Matthews Band had a uh, just very quickly. <laughs> they they had a program where you could actually plug into their board and record their concert, and they didn't care what you did with it. So a lot of people were putting it on to Napster. And I was grabbing those free concerts because I'm a Dave head. Yeah. Um, I, I did. Now, Napster one day stopped working, and it was very public w- what was going on with it. And Trey Parker's – Trey Parker Sean again. Parker. Sean Parker's name was all over the press with uh, Sean Fanning, who was the main coder. Okay. Uh, they were they were the roommates, right? The Fanning was the coder, and, and Parker was the business end of it, much like, much yeah. like Mark and, and Eduardo. Right. And uh, Parker was the guy who was constantly talking to the press. Fanning was the guy who went to the MTV Music Awards uh, with a Metallica shirt and right in front of the band said, I borrowed this from a friend, <laughs> which, is, which is a dick, dick move, move to make, funny, man. Dick move. Uh, yeah, but it, it has its point. So it's really funny though. I, I was kind of familiar with, uh, with Parker, but I got the Sean's constantly mixed up, mm-hmm. um, Sean and Sean. Um, now, I did get a letter. From Barbara Orbison, uh, telling me or that Orbison's I widow? yes, okay. telling me that I owed her like a hundred and twenty dollars for music that I illegally downloaded on Napster. To which I would say, look, I I like you. Did you respond? And I no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't write a letter back. At, no, but if I were to say something to Barbara Orbison, I would say I respect the the fact that your husband has has left you mm-hmm. uh, his song rights and his publishing. Um, but to be honest, 
I own everything Roy Orbison has ever done in triplicate. Right. So don't come after me for MP3s. Sure. That seems really a shitty thing to do. But she doesn't have but a she copy did. of all your credit card statements. Or exactly. So, yeah, you have to prove right. that you owned it. It's one of those things. You send out a thousand letters asking for 120. You hope for two or three people to send you 120. And I'm sure some did. I'm sure somebody did. I was not one of them. Oh, well. And, uh, and she didn't come back? No, she she didn't, didn't make a personal visit. Didn't uh, no. I guess that that money wasn't. Uh, she could have filed a small claim. She was out of money for stamps. I doubt that. But regardless, um, Napster was free. It was it, there was no subscription. Um, they tried to to put one on and it didn't work, and then they shut the company down. They tried to sell the company and that that didn't work. Right. It was um, it was it was a doomed enterprise from the start. However, it also forced the industry to drastically change. Yeah, it definitely changed the music industry. At least that's my perception of it. And and Parker is part of the reason that that happened. And Facebook has drastically changed, probably even more dramatically changed our lives in the past 10 years than Napster has. You think it's changed our lives? I think so. I think the social network environment and everything that it entails and the life online. I, I, I guess you're right. I, I guess think it's different for us older folks. I mean, we're not boomers. We're Generation X. Yeah, we don't care that much. We don't give a – right. We'll just we, we sit back and watch the world burn. You know, I have a Facebook account. Right. But I'm, I'm never on it. I only use it to push this podcast and my books. That's it. Right. And um, that's – I don't Seems communicate on it. Song. I don't blog on it. I don't, I don't, I can't remember the last time I logged into it. Is that because you're inherently opposed to it or it just doesn't interest you? It's a time vampire. Uh, it doesn't interest me. Um, I've been on it and have used it heavily in the past right. and I just, I'm happier without it. Yeah. And I'm uninterested into all of the, uh, here's one of those camera moves I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. I'm uninterested in all the drama that it, that it creates that it, yeah it certainly does seem to channel a lot of it i mean i have a facebook at least i did like site i i don't even know i don't even know if i could access it i'm sure i could if i put any effort into it yeah I been on probably five, you have years. to request to delete it so not logging then into it, it after a yeah. number of years and you're still I there i don't even know if i posted any anything of significance but that's not important but so you, this is exact i don't know about you but this is precisely how i spent many of my college years Shots around the computer. We just weren't doing anything creative with the computer. <laughs> but it's very true to life. <laughs> uh, we weren't trying to build anything. Well, but yeah. And, well, this... So this is how Zuckerberg actually, um, it, it's how he chose his programmers that came out to him, came out with him to California with Dustin. Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually, this is a... Um, fairly accurate? It's fairly accurate. It's also... Um, it's still going on. I think it's twice a year now. Zuckerberg actually holds like hackathons Where in the they, in they the face. Shots? Well, not not shots, uh, but it's boo. it's uh, it's time that the company sets aside for hackers to show their their skills, their skills and their promise. And uh, I don't know if they hand out awards or anything, but he does go around and personally reviews the code that a lot of these guys uh, enter the competition with. And some some of those ideas are are patented. Some of those ideas are incorporated into Facebook, and some of them lead to 
Yeah, to greater things. Some of them get hired, and yeah, it's it's part of that entrepreneurial spirit that Zuckerberg really pushes, which you have to say, you know, he's very good at doing. I mean, in this movie, he is definitely, in my opinion, portrayed as a villain, the villain. But I don't think of Mark Zuckerberg. Full stop. So no, no. I mean, to me, this is kind of a self-contained story as opposed to anything to do with reality. Yeah, that's that's an odd shot there of Eisenberg. I didn't actually recognize him. Just like Michael Sarah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Which I know it's not the first time somebody said that. Yeah, and this again, this really happened too. They they broke the chimney. (laughs) Yeah, again, very funny stuff. And then the look on Muscovitz's face (laughs) is like, holy shit! (laughs) Yeah, is everybody okay? And who's the actor portraying Muscovitz? Because he looks. Familiar, but I can't play. Yeah, he's, he's one of those he's guys. One of those guys. Like he's been on some television show that I've seen. I can't recall the Joey Pants Award. Yes, yes Bill Simmons would say. Now, do you think that this is legit? This is where Sean Parker shows up at the house in Palo Alto and says, "Oh, what? I can't believe you're here." I mean, certainly this is not legit. He knew he was there because Sean Parker um, never struck me as. A dumb guy, just a guy who makes dumb decisions. Right. So how what it said in the book was that this is going to – I want to know that girl's name too because she's also one of those – who is she? Right. What has she been Well, in? she looks like the uh, woman who was in Northern, Northern Exposure. Well, unfortunately, the on IMDb, the casting for the social network is not listed by uh, – Character. Right. So it's it's listed basically by who shows up first. Oh, okay. So it's it's very frustrating trying to oh, I don't track it. down names and and what people have been in. However, what it said in in the book was uh, uh, Parker did in fact live in the same neighborhood, and I believe it was down the street. And what he was doing was trying to help his girlfriend move a sofa into her house, mm-hmm. and her parents were there apparently. Okay, and he didn't get along with them. And when that happened, that's um, when the chimney broke. Yeah, the chimney broke, and it and it attracted his attention. That would do it. Yeah, but still. But it it seems. Oh, and this is. I'm sorry. This is another tremendously well done. Oh yeah. Scene. So I remember seeing this. This is the nightclub scene for those yeah. of y'all who are still watching. All the crane movies. shot up to the second floor of the balcony. Well, what I what I remember being most impressed with is the sound mix. Oh yes, because the music is unbearably loud. But still, the dialogue is exceptionally clear. Well, and they were shouting. I mean, that they added that soundtrack later, right? But it's one of the yeah, I think it was. But it's just one of those. The way it's presented to the viewer is really well balanced. Because yeah. I never had to like. You never had to strain. Because I was watching this in the morning, so when this and it's loud, mm-hmm. so I turned it down. But it's it's just really exceptionally well done. You don't usually see it like that. Well, this scene to me is is almost just as pivotal as the almost probably just as pivotal as as the the introduction of Timberlake, or the Parker character mm-hmm. at the at the dinner. Um, you've got the the sound mix is good. The fact that they're shouting, but it's not overbearing. You can understand everything that they're saying. Right. If I was if I was going to relate that to something, it would be that that scene in uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, where they're at the club and the and the music is on and you can't hear shit. Right. And uh, now, of course, who knows what the hell David Lynch's purpose was, but he put subtitles. That's why we love David Lynch. Right. You know, and he, he probably never intended for you to be able to hear anything that they were saying. I'm sure he did. And always intended for them to be subtitles, but that was always very annoying to me. Uh, 
but in that case, there's that, and there's also the the conversation here, which is the Victoria's Secret story. Is that real? Yes. That is a legit story. Yes, it's okay. a legit story. I actually meant to, because it just strikes me as something that could be totally made up. Right. Urban legend or legit. Have no clue. Now, this part about Parker saying the girl I loved in high school with some, some varsity, I wanted to take her from, I, I have no idea. I mean, that was this, not well, in. Considering this conversation never Probably right. truly well, I am I am sure that uh, Zuckerberg and, and Parker had dozens of conversations a day for over sure. a year. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure they knew as much about each other as anyone would that's exposed to each other over that amount of time. Fincher's over the shoulder shots. They're quite they're quite amazing. And I've watched this several times to look at the people downstairs. Are they really dancing? Are they faking it? Are those fake sword swings oh, like I in the back he, of Spartacus? I think he's making them do it. They are definitely dancing. He'll, he'll make it shoot again. Those people are in the best shape ever. <laughs> For 70 takes. Yeah. 120. <laughs> billion dollar company. And the idea of a company being worth a billion dollars, a software company. Mm-hmm. And people also don't – I don't think that people – particularly people younger than us remember the dot-com bubble and how in the late nineties, everybody was just throwing money onto the internet and companies were failing left and right. Mm -hmm. And there were companies that were small and didn't matter. And then there was, I believe it was right before nine 11 was the big, the big bubble where, where there was, there was a company that was making t-shirts in Detroit that was valued uh, more than like, $70 Chevrolet or right. something, and it was just stupid. It just doesn't make any sense. No, and this is 2003, 2004. These characters would be very knowledgeable mm-hmm. about the dot-com industry and the bubble. And this, and Palo Alto is in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And they've they've got their finger on the pulse, so to speak. Especially, they should, at least. Especially Parker. Chevrolet especially Parker. Presume so. Yeah. Just the way that he holds his hand over there. Excuse me. Like, I'm, I'm sure that you can see Timberlake in any other film call another waitress over, and it'd be completely different. Yeah. Here, now, how much of this shot? This is the uh, regatta. Yeah. The how much of it is? Now, this almost all looks fake to me. It looks this like. about the only time that. And it, the funny thing is, it's probably not. It's always the way it seems it, to work. Well, when I first watched it, it was like a film within a film. Yeah, it's dreamlike. It's like a kaleidoscope, mm-hmm. those old kaleidoscopes that they would make with several different frames back in the 1890s. And you would spin it on a mirror in yep. order to show you. Uh, and the color scheme is completely different than the rest of the film. It's the whole race. Then it goes back when they go into the club, everything switches back. He's using some sort of soft ring mm-hmm. on the lens so that everything else is out of focus. Or else he's putting the camera just right on top of these guys, like Army Hammer there. These guys are going in and out of focus. It, it They're using no deep focus at all. I, I was astounded. Uh, not that Fincher had, had shot it. He can do anything that he wants with the camera. I was amazed that he used it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely out of the rest of the movie, but it, that's also, again, on purpose. And using oh. Hall of the Mountain King, yeah. which I... Like my only other movie reference for that is uh, that's the that's the song they use in M okay. to notate the killer mm-hmm. is is available. Long times I've seen that. Yeah, uh, but they they did compete. Henley on Tim's uh, the regatta is is held every year, and uh, they did lose it that year. They came in second place. And you know this was oh, 
No, that's that's all right. It just it just looks like the early days of film. And yep. then that soundtrack uh, of the Hall of the Mountain King, like I remember uh, Finch, well, not Fincher, but Trent Reznor saying that Fincher asked him to make Hall of the Mountain King like Wendy Carlos would make it. And for those of us, our listeners who don't know Wendy Carlos, that would be me. she did the entire soundtrack to the first Tron. Okay. So very, very much uh, synthesizers and things like that. And then, and then that's what, that's what Reznor did and turned it into Fincher was like, I'm sorry I ever mentioned Wendy Carlos <laughs> and he had to do it again. And that's what you they do it used. how you think is best. Right. But I, I was really taken aback by that. I was wondering, I was wondering why Fincher did that, why he, he used the soft focus ring why he was uh, shooting it the way, why did, did he want to make the movie within the movie and what the point was. And this is another thing I found pretty interesting because here's dad. And there's this expectation that they're going to portray their dad as this overbearing jackass. And the way it's portrayed is like, no, don't ever apologize to me. You guys did a hell of a race. And right. it's, it's, it's all very healthy. Right. And it would have been very easy to portray any of these characters is, you know, caricatures and stereotypes. And I guess if you're not looking at it with any degree of, you know, cr criticalness, you would. But I like that. It's like, yeah, this is really kind of fair treatment of all the characters. Well, it is. We don't know much about their father. We we know about their actions, not necessarily his. But it could we know this... more about their dad than we do Mark Zuckerberg. So right, we know more about Eduardo than we do Mark. Zuckerberg. We do, and it, but it could it be that everybody's father has has different ex ex expectations and what their children think they are? Mm -hmm. Could does Eduardo's dad um, really blame Eduardo for him for Mark screwing him out of those probably millions not. of dollars? Probably not. He's probably like, well, Eduardo, good job. Let's get a lawyer. Yeah. I think as much as anything, it just kind of shows how Zuckerberg is disassociated with people to a degree. Right. Right. Which is the great irony of the film. The great theme of the film is this person who's just... Bringing people together. Yeah. Bringing people together is just not very socially viable at all. And, and apparently that is true in real life. Now, having said that, the guy is married to what seems like a very nice lady and oh. has two kids. Yeah. He was on CNN last week showing their house and uh, feeding the kids at the breakfast table just like uh, like everybody else does. I'm sure that wasn't arranged by any... Uh... I'm sure it was highly arranged, <laughs> highly choreographed. Um, I'm sure there was lots of planning involved before that happened. And I'm sure that's not his real house. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I would hope not. Well, I'm sure he's I got several. Let, if I'm him, I'm not letting people in my house. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to rent one and we'll have it there. To a certain degree, if I'm Mark Zuckerberg, nobody would even know what I look like. Right. <laughs> he does have moobs, though, which I find very hysterical. Moobs? For Moobs, you know, like male boobs. Oh. Yeah. For someone with that kind of money who could get like five personal trainers around the clock to keep me healthy and fit, I would not have moobs. More or less, I would not wear a tight T-shirt on CNN with my wife and my two kids there to reference it for the rest of my life. Uh, was, yeah. you know. They'll never lo let them live it down. Uh, so I think this is the shot where uh, Timberlake had a drink and, man, I meant to point it out to you. And then the door rings and he goes to answer the door. He's got to put the drink down somewhere. So he puts it on an open laptop. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, I don't want to be like, okay, take 98, take 99. Obviously that happened for a reason. What is Fincher trying to say? That Parker just has a disregard for programmers, that he truly doesn't give a shit about the laptop, or um, he's trying to say something about Parker's influence on Facebook, of he's taking it all, he's going to try to take it all down, his personal behavior. Or is it a criticism of Parker in that, like, he doesn't really have any skills. I mean, he is highly skilled at networking and communicating and all that. I mean, he's at the soft skills, but what does he do what does he bring to the table besides that networking quality is seems to be minimal if not non-existent because he doesn't write any code he doesn't put up any money he doesn't really do anything tangible aside from you know get them hooked up with the money people which okay that matters a lot so major props for that one for yeah but he knew peter teal i mean does I mean, you were talking about him and his Napster partner, what was the guy? Sean Fanning. Fanning. And you said Fanning did all the coding? Yeah, most of it, yeah. Yeah, does Parker do any? I have no idea. Right. But the way I I can see it is like, it's just not his thing. Yeah, he was the public face. Which it wasn't even a company. I mean, Fanning was running it out of his dorm, you know, for a a very, very long time before they they even hired servers on it. Right. And I don't know... I don't know much about how how they got the money infused into Napster, and, and but I, I know that they declared bankruptcy because they couldn't pay off the lawsuit. And I know that Steve Jobs changed all of that. Yeah, almost overnight, two years later, with the iPod and the iStore, and the iStore, and the iTunes, and well, I remember. Um, Cheryl Crow and Steve Jobs on the cover of Rolling Stone talking about uh, the future of music is 99 cents a song. And, and they were wrong. And, uh, well, now it's the future of music is a, is a buck 29 a song. Uh, no, now the future of music is zero cents a song. Oh, well, yes, because of Spotify and yeah. all of that. I mean, but, nobody buys music. Uh, well, I mean, I do, but I'm old-fashioned. I, I mean, I, I still buy CDs. I, I'm ancient. Yeah, I mean, I have a Spotify account, but I still, I still buy. No, well, I, I have Google Music, so. But it, yeah, it, but yes, but people younger than us. Yeah, people who are not Generation X. Yeah, I still I fucking buy vinyls. Man. Yeah, well, that's different. Vinyl is seems to have its own niche, right? But if all of a sudden you made it where people had to pay. For things, people would freak out. Well, no one's going to pay for Facebook. You think he's yeah. a dollar a year? People will say, "Fuck this!" No, they'll delete their so account. They'll go to something else, right? And Zuckerberg knew that. Yeah, because he's not dumb. Right? No, no, he might be many things. But and dumb has never been. He's never been accused of that. This is one of those those shots. It's almost like the yellow is to me is like a warning. It's it's before the red light. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty right. and, perceptive. And it's in a hall because he's going to cut off the money now. But it's in a hallway. And I just thought at the time how ballsy it was. Like, Fincher's shooting this in the hallway. Like, he's got all these big set pieces mm-hmm. throughout the entire movie. But for this scene, he wants it in the hallway. And I guess it's because of the closed walls. Yeah. He wants it to feel uh, claustrophobic. And personal. And he's wearing a yellow shirt. So here's, I think, the first time that I noticed that um, Mark has a North Face jacket on. Yes. And then, like, North Face makes these appearances throughout the movie from here on that's sort of, like, very obvious. Mm-hmm. 
And again, it's one of those things of what is Fincher trying to tell me? North Face is is a more expensive line of of winter wear, but it's not outrageous. It's not like uh, weatherproof or right. you know, it's not a top line Saks Fifth Avenue brand. But it's a slight step up over the Gap. Huge. Yes, I would say so. Gap right. is a thirty dollar jacket, and that jacket is uh, one hundred and twenty five. When the last time I bought right. mine, which was 10 years ago in Kanakistan. And this is his girlfriend who scares him. Okay. So, yeah. Brenda Song, if we remember. So, this this scene is, is a representation of what Eduardo Saverin claims was real behavior. So, this did not happen in her, like, freaking out and... Um, precisely this do, thing. Precisely. But apparently, she was a very obsessive girlfriend, and, and it got way out of hand to the point to where um, he was flying back and forth from California to New York or to Boston. And uh, uh, she, she apparently was not happy about it. And every time he landed, the voicemails and the texts were insane. And then while he was on the phone with her, she set his entire closet on fire. That made his entire wardrobe. Right. Well, it yeah. may not have been anything. It may have been that. I was pretty, uh, but she was not named in the book. <laughs> You're telling me that the CFO of Facebook doesn't want to change his relationship, Saturn? Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Don't tell anybody. Silicon Valley sluts. <laughs> It's like when I think of Silicon Valley, <laughs> sluts does not really enter yeah. my mind in terms of people who are there. <laughs> I think all the sluts are in the city. Yes. <laughs> but who knows? So yeah. Have you ever? Yeah. So that was another thing is like you go to Harvard, you live in Boston, you don't have a silk scarf. Like it's, what? It is rather surprising. That Yeah. That's kind of, listen, everybody in Boston have a scarf. And if they don't, shouldn't they? I have two scarves. I think I have two as well. And I live in Houston, where I wear it once every three years. Yeah, that's, that's correct. It's unfortunate. So, yeah, he did have to dump that relationship. And obviously Mark and, Mark and Sean were pissed that Wardo had cut off the funds. And that was basically the straw that... that broke the camel's back in terms of Facebook. Right. The company was concerned was the CFO is not here and is not on board right. and cannot go to meetings because he is not physically present. And therefore they had to do something. And when he cut off the money, it was, Forget. it was, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely moving on. But like we said before, that doesn't give Mark the right to, I wouldn't think so, but, the way it's portrayed in this movie, certainly not. Yeah. Garfield, by the way, is, I'm sure you know this, he's British. Um, I didn't know that, but I'm not stunned. Yeah, he has a very, very heavy English accent. And I did not know that until I saw, this was after, after The Amazing Spider-Man, mm -hmm. I bought The Social Network on DVD. And uh, used and saw the some of the special features. The special features when he was being was like, "Holy shit!" Because I, you know, acting is different now than it was even forty years ago. So, have you seen Wolfen 
with Albert Finney. Not not in probably 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Albert Finney plays like a New York cop. So right. he, he has to put on this like New Yorker accent. It's terrible. It's, it's fucking sucks. <laughs> it's horrible. It's really bad. And here I went two hours without even an inkling of this right. guy's. Yeah, the British invasion has really come on. It's annoying. They're everywhere. Sorry. That's all right. No, he's wearing a three-piece suit. <laughs> so he, he's all business here. Absolutely. 34.4% interest. These guys kind of reminded me of the two douchebags in uh, Office Space. The Bobs? The Bobs, yeah. <laughs> Bobs are coming in and telling Nora, so you've got 34.4%. Could you, could you, uh, could you tell me some, uh, some more there? Could you expand on that, Wardo, and, and tell me how you're contributing to the company? But if, if Wardo thought that he was going to get more out of Facebook, he wouldn't have settled either. So he must have been happy with the deal. Oh, I'm sure it worked out very well for him. Yeah. I, I am sure that Severins will never have to work in their entire life. My question is, do they have Facebook accounts? That's a, that's a very good question. Rashida Jones just looks so normal. Everyone here besides Mark looks normal. Mm-hmm. Mark looks like he's annoyed, not just out of focus, but and he's wearing a tie with what appears to be a hoodie. Yeah, yeah it's almost like um, he got dressed for synagogue at the last minute type of thing, <laughs> you know, like and his parents made him do it before he left. Like he doesn't he doesn't want to wear a tie, right? He doesn't want to be here. I'm going to because you make, you're making me. Yeah, and that goes to the to the other scene of the deposition where he's like, "My mind is not here. My mind is on Facebook." Right. I'm giving you exactly like a lot how of much. In a lot of meetings. Well, this is true. Yes, I'm giving I'm giving you as much attention as you deserve. Right. So, uh, Peter Thiel, not to get into anything because of the pure aspect of the scandal, but Peter Thiel got into it with another com, which was Gawker. Um, Gawker.com outed Peter Thiel as gay, which was extremely shitty. It was very, very um, underhanded bullshit mm -hmm. that, that Gawker did all the time yeah, to a lot very, of people. And they picked on the wrong fucking dude. And uh, Teal was ready to go to war. And he's like, I fucking own a third of the internet. I will make you will make hurt. You <laughs> and so uh, they published, uh, Gawker published a sex tape of uh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, that, that I've also, somebody's wife or something. Right. Yeah, they were both. I don't know the details, but there's yeah, something there. I believe yeah. one of the, or both of them were married. And, uh, and it, it caused a complete ruckus. And Peter Thiel said, I will bankroll your legal defense to take down Gawker. Which, okay. And and it happened. Right. It, they did it. And so I am of two minds. I, I am completely of the opinion that Docker, Gawker.com does not need to exist. I'm perfectly fine no. with, with that and them douchebags like that not being on the Internet. At right. the same time, I don't know how I feel about a really rich person pointing at anything that he doesn't like and saying that needs to disappear. Yeah, but it's been like that for forever. Uh, that's very I mean, true. And yeah, it's not necessarily 
good, but it's certainly not new. Facebook is doing that. They get to determine who accounts need to disappear. And some people would say they determine who the president is. That's very true, which Zuckerberg very recently said in a, in a closed door meeting, which got out, which is Elizabeth Warren is not president as long as I'm president of Facebook. Yeah, and it'll be interesting and, to see. And I don't like Elizabeth Warren. I'm not voting for her. I don't want anything to do with her, but I do not want any one person, particularly Mark Zuckerberg, having that kind of power. Right. Jesse Eisenberg I'd be fine with. <laughs> <laughs> so this is... This is when they get fucked. Yeah. This is absolutely amazing how Garfield just loses it. And this is my favorite line in the entire film. And I screamed this at the top of my lungs to my son outside his door to wake him up just last week because I thought this was so good. Uh, I left my Prada at the cleaners, you pretentious douchebag. <laughs> I was just amazing. Boom. And yeah, just boom shakalaka. Call security. He's, he's keeping it right under the line. Call security. And there's where they go through the math. Right. And it's just drop drawing just how unbelievably unfair it was. While they're talking dilution, I'm going to talk pollution. Oh, we are. A helicella pollution. Those are pretty tremendous. And this does kind of, in the movie, the way it's presented, it's like, it's the same. It was just so unexpected. And you knew that they weren't getting along. But I, I had no idea that the relationship was so bad that, that they would do something like that to someone so close mm-hmm. to them. It's such a betrayal. Yes. <laughs> Fuck you, flip flops. Oh, the previous scene where uh, uh, Parker took him to that company, a capital company, yes. and told him go in there and wear flip flops. And said, Fuck you. Yeah. right, yeah, that that really happened too. I believe, and that was that was the that was the company that fired Parker after Napster. This, the animal cruelty story is in the accidental billionaires. They bring it up, but I do not recall if Saverin said yay or nay on it. But I, I read some things on the internet that uh, the chicken story was was uh, concocted, and it was it was something was made up for the movie, and that's that's not the case. It's in the accidental billionaires. Now, whether or not uh, Saverin admits to it, I couldn't tell you. Now, this is a really another really good sequence. Oh, I love this. Yeah, when he gives him his money back. Right. And then he lunges at him. Like, oh, my God. And he says, <laughs> like, sitting next to you makes me look so much tougher. Yeah, and again, let's throw JT some some props here because I don't think that Justin Timberlake is afraid of anything. <laughs> at this point, I wouldn't imagine <laughs> so. <laughs> so, but I totally bought that Parker was like, hey, man, you know. And he's looking around like he's embarrassed, like he was charged. And- yeah. And so let's change the topic. Well, that's it. It's like a New York City cop. Show's over. Nothing to see here. Move along. Right. And it's funny because this part, the big celebration where they have a million, one million users. Yeah. How many users are on Facebook? Now? Oh, my Any God. I haven't it's got to be over a billion. It's yeah. like one quarter of the planet. Is it really? I, think it is. I believe it. I just, just shocking. 
It's like that sign outside McDonald's. Over 40 billion served, what have you. It's worth knowing. How many users does Facebook have? I'm going to guess 700 as of, million. As of 2013. Oh, I'm sorry, no, 2017. Still, a- April up. 2017. Two billion. You think that's 2 billion individuals or is that including every single business that has a site? Every well, you can organization. Yeah. You, I bet you that's for a while. That. You couldn't, you couldn't distinguish corporate entities and now that you can, but um, that's yeah, but probably some, just accounts. Yeah. But some, yeah, I'm yeah. It's just accounts, but that's not important. So on the fifth or sixth time I watched this, I noticed that the girl who dropped off the business cards and walked away with the short skirt, that's the girl that has Coke on her belly at the party. No, it's not the same. No, girl. but she's well, in, she's, she's, in, she's, she's in, in the, the room. room. She's in the room. She's in the room. Yeah, she's okay. the one on the far right. I think. Right. Yeah, the one who lies but about she, her yeah. age. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. She was an intern. <laughs> this being the age of interns, but right. um, Eduardo Saverin accepted an internship for that summer uh, at a capital company. In New York, in mm-hmm. in, in Which, Manhattan. In the movie, he had quit after after a week or something, so, yeah, right? Something but in the was, but in the book, he was there. The whole time. Yeah, so it, it begs the question: How serious were you? He probably wasn't near as serious as these guys were. But if he had a stake that was legit, which it was, oh well. That, we don't have to worry about that. That's not important. Right. So this scene here, uh, Parker's talking about the true digitiz digitization of life. I'll fix a lot of these things in post. Um, you know what he's talking about there? No, the pictures, Instagram. Oh no, I had no idea. Yeah. I'm, that was about the third or fourth time I watched like, Holy shit. He's talking about Instagram. So I instantly got on. I was like, did John Parker have anything to do with Instagram? And, and Facebook owns Instagram, right? Uh, I think Google owns no, Instagram. I think, it's Facebook. I think it's Facebook. I think it is. I'll bet you it's Facebook. I don't, I also another social media component I'm not on, but that's fine. Who owns Instagram? Facebook. Okay. Because Facebook owns a lot. They do. Google owns a lot, or I should yeah, say Google Alphabet owns. owns a lot. Yeah. Alphabet owns Google. But I suspect that owns more than Facebook. She is ripped, by the way. Her she does a lot of sit-ups. Her belly is admirable. I mean, so, so I'm gonna have to ask you to button your paws. Okay, that's fair. You know. Yeah, that's not mine. <laughs> I have an inhaler. <laughs> right. Is this cocaine on your hand? That's no, not mine. Flower. That's probably what Ro- it's probably what Robert Downey Jr. said when they pulled him over in <laughs> Malibu with the forty five and the half the brick of coke in his seat. That's not mine. Somebody borrowed my car. <laughs> Somebody, yeah. EpiPen. Apparently he he did have that problem. He carried he carried an EpiPen on him at all times. This this girl cracks at the end. She starts crying. I lied. I shouldn't have lied. Like she's twelve or something. She's probably nineteen. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, she's underage. Like because they're they're at a party that serves alcohol. Yeah. Okay. 
and then the walls around Mark Zuckerberg, you know, everything is getting shut off. Yeah, the lights go off. Yep. But Zuckerberg would. Uh, I, I get the the idea from from the film. There's several points in the film where where Mark would shut himself off for a day or even more, and I mean like 36 straight hours or 40 straight hours of doing nothing but coding. And apparently that's a like a true life phenomenon, not just with Zuckerberg, but with a lot of programmers of that's just well, what they do. Just like writers, right? Yeah, when you get into a groove, you just do it. But I can't imagine like coding is so I mean, I don't know anything about coding. I know that the little bit I've done, it's hard to remember. Yes. And keeping all of that in your head and not making a mistake after fifteen or sixteen hours, I can't imagine how they pull that off. That's why there's very few people who do it and they do it well. Thank you for Mr. Obvious statement there for me. Well, so this goes back to, you know, well, I'm just going to drop that idea and I'm going to go to some, somebody else. Margaret, Sorry. Margaret went, and there's no reason for anybody to know who Margaret went is. The only reason I know is because I listened to this podcast called Canada land okay. because I used to live in Canada. Margaret went is a uh, columnist for the, uh, the globe and mail, which is the number one newspaper of Canada. Yes, I know sure. newspapers, which we live in the digital age, now. Newspapers. but to connect everything to the age of, of the digital era, she, she is aging. She's an aging boomer and she's writing an increasing number of articles, which are columns that are just head shakers. Okay. And one of them that just had me last year, just rolling. Like I didn't know whether to laugh at the absurdity or to just sigh and throw it in the trash. Uh, but she actually said uh, the emphasis that Canada was placing on uh, programming and coding in the colleges and in the high schools was absolutely uncalled for. She said, there's, there's no reason uh, to push uh, coding and programming education in our youth. It's unwarranted. It's paranoia. It was, it was sensationalism because of movies like the social network specifically, it was pushing this idea that if you code and if you program, then you can all be rich and you can all run dot coms and you can all be wealthy and affluent and blah, 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 blah. And she said, and by the way, it's all worthless because you don't need it because everybody's got an app on their phone that does anything anyway. Okay. That was her argument. Whatever you need, you don't need to program or code it because there's an app on your phone that does it anyway. I'm, okay, that's inherently confusing. Yes. I, apparently, she didn't really understand that programmers and coders are the ones who create that phone yeah. software and app anyway. Right. Now, I will go with an argument that Steve Jobs made uh, during one of his little uh, pep talks, which I thought was one of the rare ones that I was actually hooked into. Which was, um, you can have all the sciencey things, that's all fine. But if you don't have the humanities to inform you what to do mm -hmm. with those sciencey things, you're lost. It's incomplete, yes. Yes. So he was, he was bringing up the design of, of all of his eye products, the design of the iPhone, the icons on the iPhone. All of those were informed mm -hmm. by people who were educated in the humanities. Right. It wasn't, yeah, you don't want the nuts and bolts people doing that stuff. Right. So in this film, for instance, in the very beginning, you know, Mark makes a jibe at uh, one of the email addresses that Saverin gives him to, to send out the Facebook. It's like, oh, wow, that's a Jabberwocky. So he's making a literary right. reference like that's, but he knows that. He knows what it is. Yeah. He knows enough, right? And he's informed by the humanities, probably not enough. And the end, the refresh. Back to the beginning. 
Yeah, the refresh. This killed me. This killed me. Looks up the old girlfriend and finally, after all these years, puts forth a friend request. And of course, he doesn't, he uses the, the, uses the trackpad, of course, mm-hmm. but programmers, you know, they don't use trackpad the great majority of the time. They use shortcuts. Mm-hmm. So I think he's hitting like control F2 or control F2 or F whatever it is. Yeah. Is it F5? I think it's F5 is refresh. Refresh. And then the song, Baby, You're a Rich Man, by the Beatles, right? 65. Baby, You're a Rich Man, by the Beatles? Never heard of them. (laughs) I'm fucking with you, yes. I don't remember what album it's off of. I think it's... um, You know which album it was off of. It's it's either either, uh, Magical Mystery Tour or... uh, um, It's not Sgt. Pepper. It's Magical Mystery Tour or the White Album. I'm stunned if you don't know. But regardless... Um, yeah, 65 million. And then Saverin's, Saverin's settlement was undisclosed. So that means it was significant. Yeah. Over a hundred. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm guessing. And it's all about her. You get around to it. It's just a guy looking for a gal. That's the nice way of putting it. Um, I was going to be more vulgar about it, but. Yeah, let's go with the uh, nice. We can go with the nice. In order of appearance, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Do you have any final <laughs> final words about no, the social network? Not, 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 no, it's, it's just a tremendously well-made movie with a compelling story over something that's, you know, at the time that it came out, and I, I, for me at least, it's still, you know, an interesting topic with a current phenomenon, right? I mean, I know Facebook is still a major thing. Probably well, probably won't always be, but it is for a long time. But it's, you know, it's, I don't know if it's my favorite movie of Fincher's, but it very well might be. Well, favorite and and the greatest are two different they things. Are. Yeah, that's yeah. why I put it like that. Cause Absolutely. This has got one of the highest levels of rewatchability. Yeah. You can just watch it again, right? There's, some, there's a scene, but... This is one of the few ones that doesn't make you want to necessarily take a long, long, long shower. Just a short one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my favorite Fincher film is Fight Club. Yeah. I mean, um, that yeah. I mean that's just, but like his, his greatest film is probably Zodiac. But what is the, the best film, the century, probably the social network. Probably. 19 years in. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you have to distinguish those. Sure. Absolutely. And what it says about our times and what it says about us as, as, as people in the West living under this, this very strange regime, which none of us really fully understand with Cambridge Analytica and what Facebook is doing with elections and uh, the personal connections that it takes to establish all of that. And, and, uh, you know, those of us who spit on Mark Zuckerberg will turn right around and, and, and uh, check their LinkedIn status. Yeah, absolutely. Or their Instagram, not knowing that it's owned by Facebook or jump on the Twitter. Is LinkedIn, LinkedIn owned by uh, No, I think that's owned by, uh, I think they sold it to Google a few years ago. Okay. I could check that again. I'm probably wrong. Not that important. At, at this time in the credits, probably not. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming over again, Dave. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. it. 
true joy and always an unexpected surprise to be invited. So thank you. For sure. And we're out. Thanks for listening to Dave and I pretend to know what we're talking about during the social network. If you like what we did, you can leave a rating on iTunes to spread the word. If you think we suck, you can drop me a line at thatdylandavis at gmail.com. All music on this podcast was written and recorded by Rosalind McPhail. You can find her and myself on SoundCloud and Twitter. You can find me, my books, and my blog on www.thatdylandavis.com. I'm Dylan Davis, and we'll meet next time at the Tinder Spit.